0: Section 1 of State of the Union Addresses 1857-1860 to This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary B. Clayton State of the Union Address, James Buchanan, December 8, 1857, Part 1 Fellow citizens of the Senate and House of Representatives, in obedience to the command of the constitution it has now become my duty quote, to give to congress information of the state of the union and recommend to their consideration such measures quote, as i judge to be quote, necessary and expedient quote. but first and above all our thanks are due to almighty god for the numerous benefits which he has bestowed upon this people and our united prayers ought to ascend to him that he would continue to bless our great republic in time to come as he has blessed it in time past since the adjournment of the last congress our constituents have enjoyed an unusual degree of health the earth has yielded her fruits abundantly and has bountifully rewarded the toil of the husbandman our great staples have commanded high prices and up till within a brief period our manufacturing mineral and mechanical occupations have largely partaken of the general prosperity we have possessed all the elements of material wealth and rich abundance and yet notwithstanding all these advantages our country and its monetary interests is at the present moment in a deplorable condition in the midst of unsurpassed plenty in all the productions of agriculture and in all the elements of national wealth we find our manufactures suspended your public works retarded our private enterprises of different kinds abandoned and thousands of useful laborers thrown out of employment and reduced to want the revenue of the government which is chiefly derived from duties on imports from abroad has been greatly reduced whilst the appropriations made by Congress at its last session for the current fiscal year are very large in amount. Under these circumstances, a loan may be required before the close of our present session. But this, although deeply to be regretted, would prove to be only a slight misfortune when compared with the suffering and distress prevailing among the people. With this, the government cannot fail deeply to sympathize, though it may be without the power to extend relief it is our duty to inquire what has produced such unfortunate results and whether their recurrence can be prevented. In all former revulsions, the blame might have been fairly attributed to a variety of cooperating causes, but not so upon the present occasion. It is apparent that our existing misfortunes have proceeded solely from our extravagant and vicious system of paper currency and bank credits, exciting the people to wild speculations and gambling in stocks these revulsions must continue to recur at successive intervals so long as the amount of the paper currency and bank loans and discounts of the country shall be left to the discretion of fourteen hundred irresponsible banking institutions which from the very law of their nature will consult the interest of their stockholders rather than the public welfare the framers of the constitution when they gave to congress the power to quote, to coin money and to regulate the value thereof and prohibited the states from coining money emitting bills of credit or making anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts suppose they had protected the people against the evils of an excessive and irredeemable paper currency they are not responsible for the existing anomaly that a government endowed with the sovereign attribute of coining money and regulating the value thereof should have no power to prevent others from driving this coin out of the country and filling up the channels of circulation with paper which does not represent gold and silver it is one of the highest and most responsible duties of government to ensure to the people a sound circulating medium the amount of which ought to be adapted with the utmost possible wisdom and skill to the wants of internal trade and foreign exchanges If this be either greatly above or greatly below the proper standard the marketable value of every man's property is increased or diminished in the same proportion and injustice to individuals as well as incalculable evils to the community are the consequence unfortunately under the construction of the federal constitution which has now prevailed too long to be changed this important and delicate duty has been dissevered from the coining power and virtually transferred to more than fourteen hundred state banks acting independently of each other and regulating their paper issues almost exclusively by a regard to the present interest of their stockholders exercising the sovereign power of providing a paper currency instead of coin for the country the first duty which these banks owe to the public is to keep in their vaults a sufficient amount of gold and silver to ensure the convertibility of their notes into coin at all times and under all circumstances no bank ought ever to be chartered without such restrictions on its business as to secure this result all other restrictions are comparatively vain this is the only true touchstone the only efficient regulator of a paper currency the only one which can guard the public against overissues and bank suspensions as a collateral and eventual security, it is doubtless wise and in all cases ought to be required that banks shall hold an amount of United States or State securities equal to their notes in circulation and pledged for their redemption. This, however, furnishes no adequate security against overissue. On the contrary, it may be perverted to inflate the currency indeed it is possible by this means to convert all the debts of the united states and state governments into banknotes without reference to the specie required to redeem them however valuable these securities may be in themselves they cannot be converted into gold and silver at the moment of pressure as our experience teaches in sufficient time to prevent bank suspensions and the depreciation of banknotes in england which is to a considerable extent a paper-money country though vastly behind our own in this respect it was deemed advisable anterior to the act of parliament of eighteen forty four which wisely separated the issue of notes from the banking department for the bank of england always to keep on hand gold and silver equal to one-third of its combined circulation and deposits if this proportion was no more than sufficient to secure the convertibility of its notes with the whole of great britain and to some extent the continent of europe as a field for its circulation rendering it almost impossible that a sudden and immediate run to a dangerous amount should be made upon it the same proportion would certainly be insufficient under our banking system each of our fourteen hundred banks has but a limited circumference for its circulation and in the course of a very few days the depositors and note holders might demand from such a bank a sufficient amount in specie to compel it to suspend even although it had coin in its vaults equal to one-third of its immediate liabilities and yet i am not aware with the exception of the banks of louisiana that any state bank throughout the union has been required by its charter to keep this or any other proportion of gold and silver compared with the amount of its combined circulation and deposits what has been the consequence in a recent report made by the treasury department on the condition of the banks throughout the various states According to returns dated nearest to January 1857, the aggregate amount of actual species and their vaults is $58,349,838, of their circulation $214,778,822, and of their deposits $230,351,352 thus it appears that these banks in the aggregate have considerably less than one dollar in seven of gold and silver compared with their circulation and deposits it was palpable therefore that the very first pressure must drive them to suspension and deprive the people of a convertible currency with all its disastrous consequences it is truly wonderful that they should have so long continued to preserve their credit when a demand for the payment of one-seventh of their immediate liabilities would have driven them into insolvency and this is the condition of the banks notwithstanding that four hundred millions of gold from california have flowed in upon us within the last eight years and the tide still continues to flow indeed such has been the extravagance of bank credits that the banks now hold a considerably less amount of specie either in proportion to their capital or to their circulation and deposits combined, than they did before the discovery of gold in California. Whilst in the year 1848 their specie in proportion to their capital was more than equal to one dollar for four and a half, in 1857 it does not amount to one dollar for every six dollars and thirty-three cents of their capital. In the year 1848, the specie was equal within a very small fraction to one dollar in five of their circulation and deposits. In 1857, it is not equal to one dollar in seven and a half of their circulation and deposits. From this statement, it is easy to account for our financial history for the last 40 years. It has been a history of extravagant expansions in the business of the country, followed by ruinous contractions at successive intervals the best and most enterprising men have been tempted to their ruin by excessive bank loans of mere paper credit exciting them to extravagant importations of foreign goods wild speculations and ruinous and demoralizing stock gambling when the crisis arrives as arrive it must the banks can extend no relief to the people in a vain struggle to redeem their liabilities and species they are compelled to contract their loans and their issues and at last in the hour of distress when their assistance is most needed they and their debtors together sink into insolvency it is this paper system of extravagant expansion raising the nominal price of every article far beyond its real value when compared with the cost of similar articles in countries whose circulation is wisely regulated which has prevented us from competing in our own markets with foreign manufacturers has produced extravagant importations and has counteracted the effect of the large incidental protection afforded to our domestic manufacturers by the present revenue tariff but for this the branches of our manufacturers composed of raw materials the production of our own country such as cotton iron and woolen fabrics would not only have acquired almost exclusive possession of the home market but would have created for themselves a foreign market throughout the world deplorable however as may be our present financial condition we may yet indulge in bright hopes for the future no other nation has ever existed which could have endured such violent expansions and contractions of paper credits without lasting injury yet the buoyancy of youth the energies of our population and a spirit which never quails before difficulties will enable us soon to recover from our present financial embarrassments and may even occasion us speedily to forget the lesson which they have taught in the meantime it is the duty of the government by all proper means within its power to aid in alleviating the sufferings of the people occasioned by the suspension of the banks and to provide against a recurrence of the same calamity unfortunately in either aspect of the case it can do but little thanks to the independent treasury the government has not suspended payment as it was compelled to do by the failure of the banks in eighteen thirty seven it will continue to discharge its liabilities to the people in gold and silver its disbursements in coin will pass into circulation and materially assist in restoring a sound currency from its high credit should we be compelled to make a temporary loan it can be effected on advantageous terms this however shall if possible be avoided but if not then the amount shall be limited to the lowest practicable sum i have therefore determined that whilst no useful government works already in progress shall be suspended new works not already commenced will be postponed if this can be done without injury to the country those necessary for its defense shall proceed as though there had been no crisis in our monetary affairs but the federal government cannot do much to provide against a recurrence of existing evils Even if insurmountable constitutional objections did not exist against the creation of a national bank, this would furnish no adequate preventive security. The history of the last bank of the United States abundantly proves the truth of this assertion. Such a bank could not, if it would, regulate the issues and credits of 1,400 state banks in such a manner as to prevent the ruinous expansions and contractions in our currency which afflicted the country throughout the existence of the late bank or secure us against future suspensions in eighteen twenty five an effort was made by the bank of england to curtail the issues of the country banks under the most favorable circumstances the paper currency had been expanded to a ruinous extent and the bank put forth all its power to contract it in order to reduce prices and restore the equilibrium of the foreign exchanges it accordingly commenced a system of curtailment of its loans and issues in the vain hope that the joint stock and private banks of the kingdom would be compelled to follow its example it found however that as it contracted they expanded and at the end of the process to employ the language of a very high official authority quote, whatever reduction of the paper circulation was effected by the bank of england in eighteen twenty five was more than made up by the issues of the country banks end of quote. But a bank of the United States would not, if it could, restrain the issues and loans of the state banks, because its duty as a regulator of the currency must often be in direct conflict with the immediate interest of its stockholders. If we expect one agent to restrain or control another, their interests must, at least in some degree, be antagonistic. But the directors of a bank of the United States would feel the same interest and the same inclination with the directors of the state banks to expand the currency to accommodate their favorites and friends with loans, and to declare large dividends. Such has been our experience in regard to the last bank. After all, we must mainly rely upon the patriotism and wisdom of the states for the prevention and redress of the evil. If they will afford us a real specie basis for our paper circulation by increasing the denomination of banknotes, first to twenty and afterwards to fifty dollars, if they will require that the banks shall at all times keep on hand at least one dollar of gold and silver for every three dollars of their circulation and deposits and if they will provide by a self-executing enactment which nothing can arrest that the moment they suspend they shall go into liquidation i believe that such provisions with a weekly publication by each bank of a statement of its condition would go far to secure us against future suspensions of specie payments congress in my opinion possessed the power to pass a uniform bankrupt law applicable to all banking institutions throughout the united states and i strongly recommend its exercise this would make it the irreversible organic law of each bank's existence that a suspension of specie payments shall produce its civil debt the instinct of self-preservation would then compel it to perform its duties in such a manner as to escape the penalty and preserve its life The existence of banks and the circulation of bank paper are so identified with the habits of our people that they cannot at this day be suddenly abolished without much immediate injury to the country. If we could confine them to their appropriate sphere, and prevent them from administering to the spirit of wild and reckless speculation by extravagant loans and issues, they might be continued with advantage to the public. But this I say after long and much reflection if experience shall prove it to be impossible to enjoy the facilities which well-regulated banks might afford without at the same time suffering the calamities which the excesses of the banks have hitherto inflicted upon the country it would then be far the lesser evil to deprive them altogether of the power to issue a paper currency and confine them to the functions of banks of deposit and discount our relations with foreign governments are upon the whole in a satisfactory condition the diplomatic difficulties which existed between the government of the united states and that of great britain at the adjournment of the last congress have been happily terminated by the appointment of a british minister to this country who has been cordially received while it is greatly to the interest as i am convinced it is the sincere desire of the governments and people of the two countries to be on terms of intimate friendship with each other it has been our misfortune almost always to have had some irritating if not dangerous outstanding question with great britain since the origin of the government we have been employed in negotiating treaties with that power and afterwards in discussing their true intent and meaning in this respect the convention of april nineteenth eighteen fifty commonly called the clayton and bulwer treaty has been the most unfortunate of all because the two governments placed directly opposite and contrary constructions upon its first and most important article whilst in the united states we believe that this treaty would place both powers upon an exact equality by the stipulation that neither will ever occupy or fortify or colonize or assume or exercise any dominion over any part of central america it is contended by the british government that the true construction of this language has left them in the rightful possession of all that portion of central america which was in their occupancy at the date of the treaty In fact, that treaty is a virtual recognition on the part of the United States of the right of Great Britain, either as owner or protector, to the whole extensive coast of Central America, sweeping round from the Rio Hondo to the port and harbor of San Juan de Nicaragua, together with the adjacent Bay Islands, except the comparatively small portion of this between the Sarstoon and Cape Honduras according to their construction the treaty does no more than simply prohibit them from extending their positions in central america beyond the present limits it is not too much to assert that if in the united states the treaty had been considered susceptible of such a construction it never would have been negotiated under the authority of the president nor would it have received the approbation of the senate the universal conviction in the united states was that when our government consented to violate its traditional and time-honored policy and to stipulate with a foreign government never to occupy or acquire territory in the central american portion of our own continent the consideration for this sacrifice was that great britain should in this respect at least be placed in the same position with ourselves whilst we have no right to doubt the sincerity of the british government in their construction of the treaty it is at the same time my deliberate conviction that this construction is in opposition both to its letter and its spirit under the late administration negotiations were instituted between the two governments for the purpose if possible of removing these difficulties and a treaty having this laudable object in view was signed at london on the seventeenth october eighteen fifty six and was submitted by the president to the senate on the following tenth of december Whether this treaty, either in its original or amended form, would have accomplished the object intended without giving birth to new and embarrassing complications between the two governments may perhaps be well questioned. Certain it is, however, it was rendered much less objectionable by the different amendments made to it by the Senate. The treaty as amended was ratified by me on the 12th March 1857 and was transmitted to London for ratification by the British government that government expressed its willingness to concur in all the amendments made by the senate with the single exception of the clause relating to ruatan and the other islands in the bay of honduras the article in the original treaty as submitted to the senate after reciting that these islands and their inhabitants quote having been by a convention bearing date of twenty-seven day of august eighteen fifty six between her britannic majesty and the republic of honduras constituted and declared a free territory under the sovereignty of the said republic of honduras stipulated that the two contracting parties do hereby mutually engage to recognize and respect in all future time the independence and rights of the said free territory as a part of the republic of honduras upon an examination of this convention between great britain and honduras of the twenty seventh august eighteen fifty six it was found that whilst declaring the bay islands to be a free territory under the sovereignty of the republic of honduras it deprived that republic of rights without which its sovereignty over them could scarcely be said to exist it divided them from the remainder of honduras and gave to their inhabitants a separate government of their own with legislative executive and judicial officers elected by themselves it deprived the government of honduras of the taxing power in every form and exempted the people of the islands from the performance of military duty except for their own exclusive defense it also prohibited that republic from erecting fortifications upon them for their protection thus leaving them open to invasion from any quarter and finally it provided quote that slavery shall not at any time hereafter be permitted to exist therein End quote had honduras ratified this convention she would have ratified the establishment of a state substantially independent within her own limits and a state at all times subject to british influence and control moreover had the united states ratified the treaty with great britain in its original form we should have been bound to recognize and respect in all future time these stipulations to the prejudice of honduras being in direct opposition to the spirit and meaning of the clayton and bulwer treaty as understood in the united states the senate rejected the entire clause and substituted in its stead a simple recognition of the sovereign right of honduras to these islands in the following language the two contracting parties do hereby mutually engage to recognize and respect the islands of ruatan bonaco utila barbaretta helena and moral Situate in the Bay of Honduras off the coast of the Republic of Honduras, as under the sovereignty and as part of the said Republic of Honduras. Great Britain rejected this amendment, assigning as the only reason that the ratifications of the convention of the 27th August, 1856, between her and Honduras had not been quote, exchanged, owing to the hesitation of that government. End quote had this been done it is stated that her majesty's government would have had little difficulty in agreeing to the modifications proposed by the senate which then would have had in effect the same significance as the original wording whether this would have been the effect whether the mere circumstance of the exchange of the ratifications of the british convention with honduras prior in point of time to the ratification of our treaty with great britain would in effect have had the same significance as the original wording and thus have nullified the amendment of the senate may well be doubted it is perhaps fortunate that the question has never arisen the british government immediately after rejecting the treaty as amended proposed to enter into a new treaty with the united states similar in all respects to the treaty which they had just refused to ratify if the United States would consent to add to the Senate's clear and unqualified recognition of the sovereignty of Honduras over the Bay Islands the following conditional stipulation. Whenever and so soon as the Republic of Honduras shall have concluded and ratified a treaty with Great Britain by which Great Britain shall have ceded and the Republic of Honduras shall have accepted the said islands subject to the provisions and conditions contained in such a treaty, this proposition was, of course, rejected after the senate had refused to recognize the british convention with honduras of the twenty seventh august eighteen fifty six with full knowledge of its contents it was impossible for me necessarily ignorant of the provisions and conditions which might be contained in a future convention between the same parties to sanction them in advance the fact is that when two nations like great britain and the united states mutually desirous as they are and i trust ever may be of maintaining the most friendly relations with each other have unfortunately concluded a treaty which they understand sense senses directly opposite the wisest course is to abrogate such a treaty by mutual consent and to commence anew had this been done promptly all difficulties in central america would most probably ere this have been adjusted to the satisfaction of both parties the time spent in discussing the meaning of the clayton and bulwer treaty would have been devoted to this praiseworthy purpose and the task would have been the more easily accomplished because the interest of the two countries and central america is identical being confined to securing safe transits over all the routes across the isthmus whilst entertaining these sentiments i shall nevertheless not refuse to contribute to any reasonable adjustment of the Central American questions, which is not practically inconsistent with the American interpretation of the treaty. Overtures for this purpose have been recently made by the British government in a friendly spirit, which I cordially reciprocate, but whether this renewed effort will result in success I am not yet prepared to express an opinion. A brief period will determine. With France, our ancient relations of friendship still continue to exist. The French government have in several recent instances, which need not be enumerated, evinced a spirit of goodwill and kindness to our country which I heartily reciprocate. It is, notwithstanding, much to be regretted that two nations whose productions are of such a character as to invite the most extensive exchanges and freest commercial intercourse should continue to enforce ancient and obsolete restrictions of trade against each other our commercial treaty with france is in this respect an exception from our treaties with all other commercial nations it jealously levies discriminating duties both on tonnage and on articles the growth produce or manufacture of the one country when arriving in vessels belonging to the other more than forty years ago on the third march eighteen fifteen Congress passed an act offering to all nations to admit their vessels laden with their national productions into the ports of the United States upon the same terms with our own vessels provided they would reciprocate to us similar advantages. This act confined the reciprocity to the productions of the respective foreign nations who might enter into the proposed arrangement with the United States. The Act of May 24, 1828 removed this restriction and offered a similar reciprocity to all such vessels without reference to the origin of their cargoes upon these principles our commercial treaties and arrangements have been rounded except with france and let us hope that this exception may not long exist our relations with russia remain as they have ever been on the most friendly footing the present emperor as well as his predecessors have never failed when the occasion offered to manifest their goodwill to our country and their friendship has always been highly appreciated by the government and people of the united states with all other european governments except that of spain our relations are as peaceful as we could desire i regret to say that no progress whatever has been made since the adjournment of congress toward the settlement of any of the numerous claims of our citizens against the spanish government Besides, the outrage committed on our flag by the Spanish war frigate Faro on the high seas off the coast of Cuba in March 1855 by firing into the American mail steamer El Dorado and detaining and searching her remains unacknowledged and unredressed. The general tone and temper of the Spanish government toward that of the United States are much to be regretted our present envoy extraordinary and minister plenipotentiary to madrid has asked to be recalled and it is my purpose to send out a new minister to spain with special instructions on all questions pending between the two governments and with a determination to have them speedily and amicably adjusted if this be possible in the meantime whenever our minister urges the just claims of our citizens on the notice of the spanish government he is met with the objection that Congress has never made the appropriation recommended by President Polk in his annual message of December 1847, quote, "to be paid to the Spanish government for the purpose of distribution among the claimants in the Amistad case." End quote. A similar recommendation was made by my immediate predecessor in his message of December 1853 and entirely concurring with both in the opinion that this indemnity is justly due under the treaty with spain of the twenty seventh of october seventeen ninety five i earnestly recommend such an appropriation to the favorable consideration of congress a treaty of friendship and commerce was concluded at constantinople on the thirteenth december eighteen fifty six between the united states and persia the ratifications of which were exchanged at constantinople on the thirteenth june eighteen fifty seven and the treaty was proclaimed by the president on the eighteenth august eighteen fifty seven this treaty it is believed will prove beneficial to american commerce the shah has manifested an earnest disposition to cultivate friendly relations with our country and has expressed a strong wish that we should be represented at teheran by a minister plenipotentiary and i recommend that an appropriation be made for this purpose recent occurrences in china have been unfavorable to a revision of the treaty with that empire of the third july eighteen forty four with a view to the security and extension of our commerce the twenty fourth article of this treaty stipulated for a revision of it in case experience should prove this to be requisite in which case the two governments will at the expiration of twelve years from the date of said convention treat amicably concerning the same by means of suitable persons appointed to conduct such negotiations End of quote. these twelve years expired on the third july eighteen fifty six but long before that period it was ascertained that important changes in the treaty were necessary and several fruitless attempts were made by the commissioner of the united states to effect these changes another effort was about to be made for the same purpose by our commissioner in conjunction with the ministers of england and france but this was suspended by the occurrence of hostilities in the canton river between great britain and the chinese empire these hostilities have necessarily interrupted the trade of all nations with canton which is now in a state of blockade and have occasioned a serious loss of life and property meanwhile the insurrection within the empire against the existing imperial dynasty still continues and it is difficult to anticipate what will be the result under these circumstances i have deemed it advisable to appoint a distinguished citizen of pennsylvania envoy extraordinary and minister plenipotentiary to proceed to china and to avail himself of any opportunities which may offer to effect changes in the existing treaty favorable to american commerce he left the united states for the place of his destination in july last in the war steamer minnesota special ministers to china have also been appointed by the governments of great britain and france whilst our minister has been instructed to occupy a neutral position in reference to the existing hostilities at canton he will cordially cooperate with the british and french ministers in all peaceful measures to secure by treaty stipulations those just concessions to commerce which the nations of the world have a right to expect and which china cannot long be permitted to withhold from assurances received i entertain no doubt that the three ministers will act in harmonious concert to obtain similar commercial treaties for each of the powers they represent we cannot fail to feel a deep interest in all that concerns the welfare of the independent republics on our own continent as well as of the empire of brazil Our difficulties with New Grenada, which a short time since bore so threatening an aspect, are, it is to be hoped, in a fair train of settlement in a manner just and honorable to both parties. The Isthmus of Central America, including that of Panama, is the great highway between the Atlantic and Pacific over which a large portion of the commerce of the world is destined to pass. The United States are more deeply interested than any other nation in preserving the freedom and security of all the communications across this Isthmus. It is our duty, therefore, to take care that they shall not be interrupted either by invasions from our own country or by wars between the independent states of Central America. Under our treaty with New Grenada of the 12th December 1846, we are bound to guarantee the neutrality of the isthmus of panama through which the panama railroad passes quote, as well as the rights of sovereignty and property which new grenada has and possesses over the said territory end quote. this obligation is rounded upon equivalence granted by the treaty to the government and people of the united states under these circumstances i recommend to congress the passage of an act authorizing the president in case of necessity to employ the land and naval forces of the United States to carry into effect this guarantee of neutrality and protection. I also recommend similar legislation for the security of any other route across the Isthmus in which we may acquire an interest by treaty. With the independent republics on this continent, it is both our duty and our interest to cultivate the most friendly relations. We can never feel indifferent to their fate and must always rejoice in their prosperity unfortunately for both them and for us our example and advice have lost much of their influence in consequence of the lawless expeditions which have been fitted out against some of them within the limits of our country nothing is better calculated to retard our steady material progress or impair our character as a nation than the tolerance of such enterprises in violation of the law of nations it is one of the first and highest duties of any independent state in its relations with the members of the great family of nations to restrain its people from acts of hostile aggression against their citizens or subjects the most eminent writers on public law do not hesitate to denounce such hostile acts as robbery and murder weak and feeble states like those of central america may not feel themselves able to assert and vindicate their rights The case would be far different if expeditions were set on foot within our own territories to make private war against a powerful nation. If such expeditions were fitted out from abroad against any portion of our own country, to burn down our cities, murder and plunder our people, and usurp our government, we should call any power on earth to the strictest account for not preventing such enormities. Ever since the administration of General Washington, acts of congress have been enforced to punish severely the crime of setting on foot a military expedition within the limits of the united states to proceed from thence against a nation or state with whom we are at peace the present neutrality act of april twentieth eighteen eighteen is but little more than a collection of pre-existing laws under this act the president is empowered to employ the land and naval forces and the militia for the purpose of preventing the carrying on of any such expedition or enterprise from the territories and jurisdiction of the united states and the collectors of customs are authorized and required to detain any vessel in port when there is reason to believe she is about to take part in such lawless enterprises when it was first rendered probable that an attempt would be made to get up another unlawful expedition against Nicaragua, the Secretary of State issued instructions to the marshals and district attorneys, which were directed by the Secretaries of War and the Navy to the appropriate Army and Navy officers, requiring them to be vigilant and to use their best exertions in carrying into effect the provisions of the Act of 1818. Notwithstanding these precautions, the expedition has escaped from our shores." such enterprises can do no possible good to the country but have already inflicted much injury both on its interests and its character they have prevented peaceful emigration from the united states to the states of central america which could not fail to prove highly beneficial to all the parties concerned in a pecuniary point of view alone our citizens have sustained heavy losses from the seizure and closing of the transit route by the san juan between the two oceans the leader of the recent expedition was arrested at new orleans but was discharged on giving bail for his appearance in the insufficient sum of two thousand dollars i commend the whole subject to the serious attention of congress believing that our duty and our interest, as well as our national character require that we should adopt such measures as will be effectual in restraining our citizens from committing such outrages. I regret to inform you that the President of Paraguay has refused to ratify the treaty between the United States and that state as amended by the Senate, the signature of which was mentioned in the message of my predecessor to Congress at the opening of its session in December 1853 the reasons assigned for this refusal will appear in the correspondence herewith submitted it being desirous to ascertain the fitness of the river la plata and its tributaries for navigation by steam the united states steamer waterwich was sent thither for that purpose in eighteen fifty three this enterprise was successfully carried on until february eighteen fifty five when whilst in the peaceful prosecution of her voyage up the parana river The steamer was fired upon by a paraguayan fort the fire was returned but as the water which was of small force and not designed for offensive operations she retired from the conflict the pretext upon which the attack was made was a decree of the president of paraguay of october eighteen fifty four prohibiting foreign vessels of war from navigating the rivers of that state as paraguay however was the owner of but one bank of the river of that name the other belonging to corrientes a state of the argentine confederation the right of its government to expect that such a decree would be obeyed cannot be acknowledged but the water which was not properly speaking a vessel of war, she was a small steamer engaged in a scientific enterprise intended for the advantage of commercial states generally under these circumstances i am constrained to consider the attack upon her as unjustifiable and as calling for satisfaction from the paraguayan government citizens of the united states also who were established in business in paraguay have had their property seized and taken from them and have otherwise been treated by the authorities in an insulting and arbitrary manner which requires redress a demand for these purposes will be made in a firm but conciliatory spirit This will the more probably be granted if the executive shall have authority to use other means in the event of a refusal. This is accordingly recommended. End of section 1. Recording by Gary B. Clayton.